Thanks for tuning in to this BCLA podcast. My name is Luke, the CEO of the BCLA. I'm pleased to introduce this episode, which is the seventh instalment in the BCLA Clear podcast series. In this episode, Dr. Melissa Barnett, who is a fellow of the BCLA and a global ambassador for the BCLA, interviews Professor Lyndon Jones about just some of the future applications of contact lenses and what the profession and society can look forward to. There are truly exciting times ahead. Contact lenses in the future will likely have functions other than correction of refractive error. Lenses designed to control the development of myopia are already commercially available. Contact lenses as drug delivery devices and powered through advancements in nanotechnology will also open up further opportunities for unique uses of contact lenses. Dr. Barnett and Professor Jones cover this and more in the episode. Don't forget that you can access the full report, which contains more in-depth coverage of this research, from the BCLA website. BCLA Clear is an initiative that has drawn together thousands of research papers on many different aspects of contact lenses into one place. The findings were published in Contact Lens and Anterior Eye, the BCLA scientific journal, in April 2021 under 10 reports. BCA Clear was facilitated by the BCLA with financial support by way of educational grants for collaboration, publication and dissemination provided by Alcon and Cooper Vision. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the BCLA Clear podcast. I'm Melissa Barnett and I'm very pleased today to be joined by Lyndon Jones, who's a professor at the School of Optometry and Vision Science and director of the Center for Ocular Research and Education otherwise known as CORE, at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. He obviously needs no introduction at all. He has been awarded over 40 national and international awards, including the 2019 BCLA Medal. He has authored a million papers, pretty much, one textbook, and has given over a thousand invited lectures at conferences worldwide and in over 40 countries. He most recently chaired the VCLA Clear Report on contact lens technologies of the future. Welcome. Hi there, Melissa. Thanks very much for this opportunity to, to chat about this great report that I was involved in. Yes, well, first of all, congratulations on the report. It's absolutely amazing. And there's so much to talk about. So there's no way we're going to cover it in this yeah. podcast, but I would encourage all of you who are listening to read this one specific report because it is chock full of so much information. So starting simply, what is the current state of contact lenses? Yeah, well, as I say, it's, it's interesting actually having put this report together. So, so the concept behind this report was really to look at the contact lens technologies of the future. So where's the future for contact lenses going? Obviously, we've, we've been so used to as practitioners fitting contact lenses to really just, you know, as a replacement for specs, potentially for people to use them to, you know, change their eye color and things. But really, that's kind of where it's ended. And, and what's really interesting is when we look at how the technologies with respect to contact lenses have changed really over the last four to five years, even if we forget the future, which I'll come on to in a minute, we've had some great technology changes really over the last 10 years. You look at things like scleral lenses. Scleral lenses now have become kind of mainstream fitting. Their use has become really incredibly important, particularly for people with diseased eyes. Um, you know, they've really replaced particularly for things like keratoconics. And when I graduated back in the mid 80s, the thought of fitting a scleral lens was horrendous. I mean, you had to take a mold of the eye and it took you forever. So uh, that's been tremendous. 
we've also seen things like myopia management. You know, we've seen myopia management lenses being produced now with good solid evidence about the fact they can slow the progression of myopia. And again, that's becoming fairly mainstream now. We certainly have you know, great opportunities for people to, to take that on using contact lenses. And then we've had things like photochromic lenses. Again, when I graduated back in the 80s, the thought of having a photochromic contact lens was really, uh, was really just impossible. You never imagined that was ever gonna happen. And it took J&J probably 10 to 15 years or so to develop that technology. And so even if we forget looking into the future, what we currently have now, particularly when you, you kind of put on top of that, how great now multifocal lenses are, toric lenses, we've got some great options now for practitioners to fit to their patients in clinical practice. That's a, a great review. And even you know, in the last 20 years, there have been so many advancements in contact lenses, but it seems like we're on the cusp of a really exciting time for the future of contact lenses. So in the past year, um, there's a new contact lens that was introduced, the AccuView TheraVision. Uh, not quite in the US though, you're you're lucky to have it in. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's only us in Japan at the moment, so it's only it's only Japan and Canada that's that's had it approved. And I think actually commercially, it's only available in Canada. It was it was rolled out in a select group of practices out west in Canada a few months ago. I know that next year they're going to be expanding it across Canada. But uh, yeah, we have got Canadian practitioners who've had experience with that lens. And you know what's what's unique and interesting about that is it we now do have the world's first drug delivering contact lens. It's really interesting again if you. If you look back in history, when Otto Victorly had in 1961 his patent for, for HEMA published, and there he talked about taking HEMA that he was at the time developing for actually blood compatibility. So he was actually looking at using it for artificial blood vessels. And he proposed there that that material would make a great contact lens. And people laughed at him. It was like, you know, this is a flop, floppy, flexible, fl filmy thing. You know, we, contact lens is a hard lens. They're never going to work. But actually in that original patent in 1961, he suggested that contact lenses could be used as drug delivering devices. And it's taken all that time from 61 right through to 2021 for companies to actually take that concept and produce it as a commercially available lens. And that, if anything, shows you how long it takes for a great idea to make it through the R&D process, to make it through the clinical trials, to then get through the regulatory steps. And I think that's, you know, as, as we talk about this future, of contact lenses, that's one of the things that we need to kind of discuss is how difficult some of this regulatory process can be for bringing things to market. It's not just good enough to, to have the idea, you need the scientists in the companies and in universities and, and other research establishments to, to make them real, but then bringing them through that regulatory process can be really costly and, and timely and you know, sometimes at the last hurdle, of course, they fail. So that is so true. So tell us a little bit more because there have been so many publications on drug delivery contact lenses. Even in the last 10 years, there have been multiple publications in different areas in dry eye and glaucoma. There's even thoughts of presbyopia. And this is an exciting week with a new therapy there too yeah, in the US right. um, yeah. that just came out. But how long does this regulatory process actually take? Like, do you think, and does the BCLA clear report suggest that we will have more drug delivery options in the near future? Well, and that, that really is a great question, Melissa, because when you, it, and the answer is not going to really be very helpful because it depends. And it depends on the lens material 
that you're going to use as that drug delivering material. And then it depends upon the drug and then it depends upon the indication. So, for example, if we look at the Akibia Theravision lens, J&J were very smart because what they did is they decided to use an existing lens material, which is Etifilcon A, which has already got approval. So they didn't need to get approval for that lens. And then they took a, 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 a disease that was relatively easy to get approval for. Let, let's say, because, because they looked at allergy. So basically this ketotifin delivering contact lens is there to treat ocular allergy. Now, if you think about setting up a regulatory process for a lens, you take this lens, it's gonna deliver an approved drug. So you've got the lens material approved, you've got the drug approved. Then you need, you're really just trying to get the, the device approved for the disease that you're treating. So you need to set up an appropriate clinical trial. Now, let's say, for example, J&J actually decided, you know what, we're not going to look at allergy. We're actually going to look at microbial keratitis. Let's take a lens material that works. So let's take Etifilcon. Let's take a drug that's approved, one of the, the you know, ciprofloxin or ofloxin, whatever it is you want to pick. It's approved. And how are we going to do the clinical trial? Because we're going to need to enroll people who've got a really nasty disease that if this doesn't work to treat microbial keratitis, they could lose vision. So getting ethics approval for that study and then enrolling patients is going to be really hard. The great thing about doing something like ocular allergy is that, you know, you're going to be comparing it against the gold standard, which is drops. And if it doesn't work, the patients are really not going to be that much worse off. Sure, their, their, their itching may be worse, but they're not going to be in a, in a worse situation. They're not going to lose vision as an example. So in order for that to happen, as I say, you know, if, if you, you need to be clever about the drug you choose, the disease the disease you choose and the material. Looking at those great number of publications that you talked about, and, and you're right, probably of all of the contact lens technologies of the feature, the big area that's been published most upon is ocular drug delivery, because we know that there's a need. Drops, which is what we use pretty much for everyone for, for treating disease these days of the eye, is, is really not very good. You know, when you put them on, half the time the patients forget to put them on. Then when they do put it on, they don't put it on very well. Um, and even in situations like glaucoma, for example, where we know that patients know that if they don't put their drops in, they are going to lose vision. Studies show that only about 50% of patients who use glaucoma drugs actually put them in. So if we could develop some kind of concept, let's say, for example, you could put a contact lens on your eye, leave it there for a month, and it would continuously deliver um, an anti-glaucoma drug. How fantastic would that be? The final thing that again, shows that drops are not very good. It's how long they stay on the ocular surface. They only stay for 20 minutes, 30 minutes at most before they drain away. So, you know, you need to keep repeating, putting these drops in all the time. So a drug delivering contact lens would be great, hence the number of publications. And what's really stopped it, and one of the reasons why it's taken from 61 to now, is the, you need to control both the uptake of that drug into the lens material, and then you need to control the delivery. And, and our group at CORE has probably published about 30 papers or so now looking at whether we can use commercial contact lens materials to deliver commercial drugs. And yes, you can, you just can't control the delivery. Basically the delivery is all gone within an hour or so if you use commercial products. So you need to develop smart technologies to slow that delivery. And if you can do that, and if you can extend the delivery, out for a number of days or ideally a number of weeks, which the researchers have now been able to show that they can do through using really one of four different technologies, then that's where that concept becomes suddenly a reality. But in terms of your, your main question, I'm sorry for the long answer to the, to the really short question is, 
the regulatory process then depends upon whether that material is approved or not. And, and frankly, unless you're going to use a daily disposable lens, current commercially available contact lenses are not going to cut it. They're not going to be able to deliver it for a long enough period of time. So we're going to need to develop specially derived materials, which will need approval. And that depends upon the, the uh, disease you're trying to treat. That was an excellent answer to my question. I think we <laughs> very could talk about eight hours long. because I think this is such a great topic. But for you personally, you can take the BCLA Clear Report, but just for you personally, if you could choose one condition for a drug delivery contact lens that does not exist, what would you choose? Oh, and again, a great question. Actually, that's, that actually came to my mind as we were putting this together. And it's probably not really covered that well in the report, because if we look at the, the disease that's probably has the greatest need, it's not really an acute or long-standing disease like glaucoma or like allergy. It's probably dry eye. Yeah. We know that dry eye is such a ubiquitous problem. And I think one of the reasons why there hasn't been a huge amount of data published on at the moment is that we've had so many apparently good candidates for dry eye drugs fail at the last hurdle. So the regulatory process to get approval for a prescription dry eye drug has you know, taken a long time. For, for so long, we only had restasis. But now what we're starting to see is a number of companies having really good candidates in the regulatory process. Many of them now actually got to phase three studies where I'm beginning to think, hey, you know what? I think this drug could make it to market. And if we could make it to market and incorporate it into a contact lens, that for me would be the first thing that I would go after because the approval process would be relatively simple. It would have a massive market and a huge impact. Hey, that, that's fantastic. I agree with you because oh, good. Just, good. just think about this, how many people have dry eye, yeah. contact lens wearers, non-contact lens wearers now, and how much we could help the heat, this enormous population with a specified contact lens that addresses the ocular surface. So yeah. fingers yeah. crossed, we'll see that in the near future. Yeah. And I think one of the other things is that if we think historically, you know, we've typically taught, we've typically tended to think about dry disease as being a disease of the elderly. Whereas we now know that's not the case. We're now seeing a large number of teenagers, university age, and, and certainly people in their forties complaining of dry eyes and so you know and, and that target is perfect for a contact lens audience so i think again that's another reason why we haven't seen much maybe polished in the past but i think we will see a lot of interest in that moving forward exactly and it can help uh, contact lens retention and prevent contact lens dropout as well Absolutely. yeah for sure yeah. so moving on to another subject in the bcla clear report it described Theranostic contact lenses for the detection and or management of dry eye, glaucoma, and diabetes. What is the current state of development? So, so Theranostics really covers kind of two things. Theranostics really covers an ability to be able to diagnose a disease and then treat it. So that's the concept behind Theranostics. So a Theranostic contact lens would actually have to be able to do two things. It would have to be able to, first of all, diagnose that disease, and that disease could be either a systemic disease or an ocular disease, and then have within it the drug to manage that, and then there would need to be feedback between the severity of the disease 
and the management. So theranostic contact lenses per se, I think we're probably a long way away from because it, it's hard enough, as we just mentioned, to develop drug delivery contact lenses. You put on top of that the fact that the contact lens would need to be able to diagnose the disease. And I think those two things may, may well end up being a little bit divorced from each other, first of all. But if we think about that concept of diagnosis of disease, you know, whenever I speak to people about the potential diagnostic capability of contact lenses, people look at me as like, uh, have you been smoking, Jones? Seriously? What, you know, what, what are you thinking? A contact lens that can tell whether you've got disease? Hey, come and read this report. This report covers, it's the best report so far to cover that concept. And what you'll find is you'll be shocked at the number of publications that A, have interest in this, and B, has proven this to be the case. Now, again, some of the listeners may not actually know that there is already a commercially available diagnostic contact lens that's FDA approved and approved in Europe as well, that tells you your intraocular pressure. So this is an electronic contact lens with a built-in strain gauge in it. Um, it's called the Sensimed Triggerfish. Um, it's made by a company in Switzerland. And basically it's a silicone-based lens packed full of electronics, which basically is able to tell you what your intraocular pressure is. It has a battery in it and, um, uh, and basically an antenna the lens collects data over a period of time and it offboards that information via the antenna to a recording device that you wear around your neck and, it's, and it basically checks your intraocular pressure over a 24 hour period. So we use it in situations where you may have a patient who's got low tension glaucoma, you measure their glaucoma during the day, seems okay, you measure it in the, in the, the normal sitting up position. And it's these patients that seem to have a, a, a massive change in their intraocular pressure when they lie down or during sleep. And these are great for diagnosing this. Ton of publications on it. It's probably been out now for maybe close on 10 years, actually. And so we know that we can incorporate technologies into a contact lens to be able to do that. Now, the, there is a lot of interest in terms of using biomarkers in the tear film. And if you build into that electronic contact lens a way of, of measuring those biomarkers, you can look at detecting all kinds of things systemically. So the particular interest has been around diabetes, so glucose sensing contact lenses, but also we have biomarkers in the tear film that tell us about things like um, uh, uh, cancer, uh, things like Alzheimer's disease, um, a variety of other systemic diseases as well. So it's not just ocular disease that we're looking at, it's a variety of systemic diseases as well. And look out because these lenses are definitely gonna come as we get better and better at incorporating miniaturized electronics into the contact lens. And as we develop all kinds of nanotechnology to sense these biomarkers in the tear film, we are definitely going to see these things come into market for sure. That is super exciting to come in the near future. So finally, the last question, if there was one thing that our listeners should know about your BCLA Clear report, what should it be? It should be that um, you got to read it. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually not a bad read. You know, one of the things I think, and certainly when I was in press, I was in press for 12 years before I came to the university, one of the things I struggled with was, you know, reading peer-reviewed papers. I just didn't have time. So I would, you know, go to, the, go to the abstract and read that and take it away. You can't do that for these kind of reviews. And actually, it's a pretty easy read. It, it is quite long. It's a, just over 30 pages long. And it's got over 500 references. But it really is. It's quite exciting. It's it's. It's reading about the future. One of the things we've not touched upon yet is once we, we incorporate all of these electronics into contact lenses, one of the other things that 
you know, people like Google and uh, Facebook and many of the other big uh, companies who, who do social media stuff are interested in is trying to incorporate electronics and optics into a contact lens such that we can have a contact lens that acts like a head-up display. A lot of interest these days in these, uh, you know, wearing these, these head-up display type situations um, for augmented reality and virtual reality. We are going to see contact lenses that can do that. That means that you're going to be able to put a contact lens in and without having to look at your phone, without having to, to look at a, at a screen, you're going to be able to do things like read your emails. You're going to be able to stream videos. You're going to be able to actually go to a conference and actually rather than listen to the person who's talking, watch Netflix. Can you imagine how exciting that is? People will enjoy CE meetings. They'll be getting their CE while they're watching an episode of something or other. Now, I, you know, as a lecturer, I'll know because you'll be smiling, so I'll be able to tell you that. But uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting, the future for contact lenses, and it's all summarised in this report, and I would, uh, would urge your listeners to go and read it because it's really exciting as what's coming down the pipe. Well, I agree. It is incredibly exciting. And thank you so much. I second that. I encourage all of you to read this report because it is chock full of excellent information. And it's all broken down into different parts. So you don't have to sit down and read it all at once. You can read it as at your leisure, but it is such a great report. So thank you so much for joining me today for the VCLA Clear podcast. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to share this. It's, uh, it's been great fun. Thanks a lot. The BCLA has a wide range of membership benefits and services. If you'd like to find out more and get access to our amazing educational program, including conferences, webinars, online courses, please take a look at our website, www.bcla.org.uk. There are a variety of membership options, and you can access to all of these benefits within moments of signing up. Look forward to seeing you.